so you know, I'm interested in the corporation data bank, and I'm basically curious, like, how you got to work on that. Um, so if we can maybe talk a bit about like your career so far, whatever you want to call it. Um, I can't remember. Was your bachelor's in psychology or? Yes. So actually, like. Uh, my background uh, led me very naturally to this, uh, this, uh, this new position as a postdoc here at the VU. And uh, for example, I did my bachelor in Palermo, that's uh, uh, super south Italy. And I did my bachelor like running an experiment of the, on the bystander effect, actually a replication study. It was really uh, something sorry, that... Uh, effect? Uh, the bystander effect. A bystander, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, so it's all related to the prosociality and prosocial behavior. So since the very beginning, then I moved for my master uh, to focus a, a little bit more on research and did a master that was uh, like focused on psychology, but also had some um, computer scientist uh, science, science notions or uh, a lot of data analysis and then so on and so forth. That really uh, brought me to my PhD. Uh, I did my PhD in uh, in Torino at the University of Turin in the north of Italy, and uh, my PhD was uh, in social psychology. But I also attended some course on uh, anthropology and education. So I'm I can say I'm a, like, I have a PhD in uh, psychology, anthropology, and education very broadly. <laughs> but let's say psychology then. Yeah. By the way, you're the you'll you'll be the second guest from who you studied in Turin. Oh, really? Uh, I have. Yeah, my, the next episode is going to be with Bianca Trovo. I think she's from Turin. I can't remember. It's funny just because I was I was just editing, just finished editing her episode, so I've, I hear a lot of. I'm not going to hear a lot of Italian accents right now. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> um, yeah, but you're not from Turin, or no, no, no. I'm uh, from Palermo. From Palermo. Okay. Yeah. And wait, how does psychology? Well, what is a psychology degree like in Italy? So in the UK, it's very f where I did I did psychology as uh, for my bachelor's. It's pretty formalized. So if you do a like psychology bachelor's, you, like the first two years is like I think pretty much wherever you do it, it's the same thing. You have like some methods, and you have like one module on the different topics. You know, you have like something about like clinical psychology. You have something on cognition you know like you, you go through like the whole thing is it yeah there in italy the bachelor is pretty much organized in the same way so it's pretty general and broad and then for your master that takes like two years uh, you decide uh, how you want to specialize and uh, what you want to focus on and uh, why did you go to turin and do that degree because they had a very unique program that was not, uh, of course, you want to specialize at the master, but I, I, what I knew is that I wanted to do research. And in Italy, there is nothing like a research master. So that was like the closest thing that was at that time out there. Because it was general and still general enough to allow you to uh, pursue many different uh, career options. And I like that. I think that's why a lot of people do psychology, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't like, uh, it doesn't force you to, you know, do one thing or something. Yeah. At least True. that's why I took it. Like you, you feel like you can do whatever you want with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Then you realize uh, that uh, it is not that easy. <laughs> so. The degree or the. No, that you can do whatever it. you want. Yeah, with yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it seems that you were like pretty focused in that regard, right? Like in terms of working on cooperation and yeah, yeah, yeah. interactions. 
Exactly. So also like my master thesis, for example, uh, which is, so cooperation is not a research tradition at University of Turin, but my master thesis was on uh, uh, the effect of priming on cooperation, like priming of trust on cooperation. And uh, yeah, so I really started pretty early on with, uh, with these. Do you think that's a good thing? Or, I mean, for example, I, I almost took the opposite approach where it seems like <laughs> Every half year, I work on a different research project. Like until, like I, when I started my PhD, which is on like cognitive neuroscience of social interactions, let's say. Um, like I, I worked on attention. I did a project there. I did something on. Um, well, I, I, I did actually do one cooperation thing before. I did volition uh, for one of my master's projects. For another, I did like theoretical neurobiology. For another, I did body ownership, you know, like I, I went like all over the place, basically. And in some sense, I think like it's, you know, the nice thing there is that you have this like breadth of overview of different topics. But of course, like when I then started my PhD, I had almost no specific knowledge about the topic. So how was, I don't know, like in hindsight, do you, are you glad you focused on one thing and stuck to it? Or would you have preferred to, I don't know do some other stuff or well you know it's uh, of course it's a trade-off uh, because it's very efficient uh, and it can allow you really to go uh, in in depth in that research topic and uh, for the phd that's super convenient because you don't you don't have most of the times uh, like uh, all the time in the world to to perform your uh, literature search and uh, and so on and so forth but okay, yeah, sure. I was focused on something, but uh, during my PhD, I also did like other projects that were unrelated to my dissertation, and uh, they were pretty, yeah, they were they were they were not related on uh, on cooperation at all. So like, if you see you now a paper that I published with um, with a student of mine, we analyzed uh, women self objectification in response of uh, seeing advertisement in Sweden and Italy. Of menstrual okay. product, so there is a okay. it's very it's pretty far from uh, cooperation, I can say. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially asking like the the focus versus breadth thing because you know we once had um, someone we supervised for their bachelor's project in our lab, and then there was a question whether they wanted to also do their master's project, and I always felt like almost almost felt like telling them like, no, don't don't do you like your project in the same lab twice like go out go somewhere else like you know experience what kind of research you can do don't just you know i mean we're of course a very good lab and very cool but like go out and do other things don't just yeah focus so early but yeah i don't know Oh, it makes sense. Uh, makes complete sense. So, for example, what I did for for my PhD to like uh, to reach some some kind of trade off also here was like to visit other departments as well. So, like uh, I spent some months at University of Vienna, in the Department of Economic Psychology, and at the very end of my PhD, I spent some months as well at the Fu, at the Free University. Uh, yeah, okay, that was maybe more related to my dissertation, but but still you could really experience uh, different stuff. How did you end up in Vienna briefly, or what, what were you doing there? Um, I did um, a series of studies uh, that uh, they end up in my dissertation eventually, and they, that specific research group that I was visiting was uh, working on a model on the tax compliance 
and uh, that pretty much resembled uh, another way to study public goods uh, that, that was like way different from what I was used to do in the lab. So I thought that was pretty cool. And even if we didn't focus on taxes eventually, it turned out to be interesting. But how did you make that connection or get there? Like, did you find them and say, this is cool? Or did, was there, yeah. Exactly as you say. It, uh, it was not a collection, uh, a connection that we had uh, before. Uh, like I read some papers and I, I found them cool. And I just contacted the people. They were, they were pretty welcoming, I must say. Okay, and that was just easy to do as part of your PhD, or did you have to take time out? Or no, no, that was a part of my PhD, and that was a pretty much encouraged at University of Turin to do. Yeah, I'm still considering doing something like that, but in a way, I I already we did like a study on COVID. Um, I'm going to upload the second version of the preprint today once we're finished. Yeah, fingers um, crossed. So in a way, like I feel like I've already done my like non-phd work even though i didn't meant to spend as much time on it but yeah it always depends on like how much time you have for your phd how much money you have that kind of stuff um but then but the thing so if i read it correctly when you went to amsterdam that was already in the same lab you're in right now right yeah that's correct although when i went to amsterdam i was visiting uh, professor paul van Lange. Because and we were working on a, a, a different topic, so we were working, uh, we were trying to come up with an experimental paradigm to study the effect of corruption on cooperation and trust. So that was what I was doing there. So I was not working directly with Dan, with Dan Balliet, with my uh, see, uh, the, the PI in my lab right now. So that was more coincidence that you were already in Amsterdam, or completely. Ah, I see. It sounded like when I saw your CV or whatever, it looked like you, you know, did like a brief internship with Daniel Bayet and then afterwards went like, oh, can I do a postdoc? You know, um, okay, okay. So that was completely different. Okay, so let's move slightly closer towards the Corporation Data Bank. How did you get your your current position as a postdoc? So actually, the, the, the Data Bank project started way earlier than I joined the lab. So I think uh, three years uh, was uh, was already out there for three years and people were working on it. So there was a transition time in which they opened a position to find another person to be in charge of the annotation of the literature and on the training of other people. And uh, as I said, I was uh, there working on other topics on cooperation and uh, I applied for, uh, to the position. So that's how I, um, I transitioned to this new job. But at the beginning, it looked uh, very different from what it turned out eventually, because my responsibility was mostly to work very closely uh, to the data. Rather than, or what did you expect to do? Yeah, rather than building the entire infrastructure and uh, bringing it to the next level, to the, yeah. Because that had already been done, or? No, because... The, the entire project started with annotation of papers. So what, what, what we did was to search and collect these studies on uh, human cooperation using economic games and to annotate really in depth uh, whatever was going uh, on in there. So in terms of uh, how these experiments were structured, the variables that were in there and the findings. So this is how it started. There was no platform, no research interface, no logical uh, 
and representation. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask this later, but I guess because you just mentioned all the annotating, <laughs> okay. that sounds like a lot of very tedious work. <laughs> is is it as as um, tedious, let's say, as it sounds? Or uh, you had lots of people, right? It wasn't just you doing all of those studies, but um, I worked uh, really um, full time on the annotation at least for my very first year. Right. So okay. I can, uh, so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, yes, it's a very detail-oriented uh, kind of task. And uh, like to give you some kind of, yeah, to give you an example, to annotate um, a relatively straightforward study, let's say a study that was uh, conducted by psychologists and published in a psychology journal, can take uh, uh, half an hour. For a single study, so and that's like a straightforward study where you a straightforward study in which you know exactly what is going on and you know where to find and to look for the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Shall we maybe then introduce what we're actually talking about here? So, what is the Corporation Data Bank? What can it do? What problem does it solve? Okay, so we can. Uh, I think uh, we can define the Cooperation Data Bank as a machine-readable and annotated body of data that we extracted and curated uh, from studies on human cooperation that use economic games. So when this project started, the main purpose was to uh, give the possibility to everyone who is interested in cooperation to uh, perform meta-analysis and to get research synthesis. On, the, on this specific topic. But then, like, uh, it really got bigger than that and uh, it allowed to perform many more functions and uh, and to accommodate more, yeah, to accommodate more than this. Uh, what do you mean by more than this? Then... Because what we realized, so for us, like, uh, the, the original group started as a group of people who were mainly interested in meta-analysis. So we know how it works, like when you code a paper or you annotate that and, and so on and so forth. And so we were pretty much oriented toward that. When we had this uh, large body of annotated data and we had to fit it into like some formal data model to structure this knowledge that for us was like really Excel files with a lot of data, we realized that nothing similar was already out there that was able to model really this kind of information. So what the next step of the project was, was try to uh, really find a formal way to represent this knowledge and this information, because we were doing that in a very intuitive um, meta-analysis oriented way, like researchers would do. You mentioned machine readable earlier. What exactly does that mean? Um, this comes from the idea that all the knowledge that is uh, contained in these studies is actually buried into these PDFs. So, like, if you open an article and you want to uh, understand immediately what is going on, what are the findings and uh, the characteristics, there is no way to for machines to extract this information for you. So, what we wanted to create was a way to annotate the data and to and to formalize this knowledge that machines could read and you could perform some kind of operations on. Mm -hmm. But that means then, for example, like you say, let's say you, you take one paper and you say, okay, here we had 24 people, 50% uh, male, um, you know, cooperation rate of whatever, um, that kind of stuff, right? That's what you mean. 
Yeah, that's correct. Just take you kind of pull out the relevant information or exactly. But even if like if you have uh, this uh, this PDF with a research article, let's say, and you want to look for the um, for the percentage of uh, males uh, in the sample, how would you even look for it in uh, in, in your document? You're gonna like think about some keywords like gender, male, female. And uh, just uh, jump from result uh, to result in your in your document. So this is not a uh, an efficient way. Like this is not really read. But if you annotate this information and you formalize that, uh, that it's it becomes easier to extract the information directly. Do you mean by that like having a big Excel spreadsheet and putting it like? Each row is a study, or how should I imagine this? Yeah, that's that's correct. So you can uh, this is this will this is what happen if you download, for example, the data uh, going uh, into the Cooperation Data Bank research platform. If you download the data, you can then navigate them in a, an Excel uh, spreadsheet uh, form. And uh, so this this kind of file is going to have a lot of columns. There are going to be all the variables that are in there. So there's going to be one column uh, about gender. And uh, you can directly check this information. But if you want, you can also retrieve the same information from um, from the interface and the platform. Yeah, you mean like the website, the, the yeah, 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 way of the thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so is the idea then kind of the overall idea to allow other peoples to do peoples to allow other people to do meta analyses just easily? Is that kind of the basic idea, or? That's correct. That was uh, the vision that Dan Balliet had at the beginning of uh, of the project because he, he ran many meta-analyses and published many meta-analyses in his career. And uh, he was uh, well aware that although meta-analysis is often like uh, sold as a as a kind of an easy way to to get yeah. a paper published and uh, because you don't really need to run the study you it's just like a use uh, and recycling of secondary data it's not easy at all and it's very elitarian because it takes a lot of time and it's not true that all the research groups and all the labs in the world uh, actually have this time and resource so what he had in mind is really to build uh, this kind of resource that would allow everyone to do that and everyone to have access to the same uh, knowledge yeah, I have to admit, every time I see a meta-analysis, I always assume like, ah, oh. like when people do lots of meta-analysis, I know this is wrong, but I always think like, ah, oh, it's just easy way to get lots of citations. But obviously it's it's not, like <laughs> it's lots of work to actually do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes, uh, it takes uh, some time, let's say. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's true, that's really a common uh, prejudice. It's, it's kind of like, I'm really glad that you made this data bank because I... So I had this one idea that I tested experimentally in the lab and, you know, we had a few experiments and, or maybe I'll back up a bit. Like I, I've always been interested in like what, like from a practical perspective, what payoff matrix do you use when you do a prison dilemma, for example? Because there's no like guideline, like here are the relevant factors for using a payoff matrix. Like it's it's just, everyone just uses a payoff matrix and Sometimes it's specific to the experiment, like there, there's specific reasons within the experiment, but often it's just kind of arbitrary. Um, anyway, so I was thinking about that and then, so I started like writing down different payoff matrices 
from from the, all the papers I came across. So now I like I have this like word document with a table in it that has, you know it started off just like very casually me just going oh I'll just write down what they did what they did what they did and now I have this thing with like two hundred payoff matrices or something stupid um, because every time I read one I just add it to it and it's kind of nice that people like you are doing this in a more systematic way so it's just not a word document on my laptop but i'll say this you don't have payoff matrix in there right uh yes that's correct you're right we we don't code for this specific payoff and why not uh, that's the one thing i want <laughs> that's a, that's a very, yeah that's a very good question although i'm very optimistic this can this uh, will be integrated soon because uh, uh, some people are cool. already working on annotating that for some studies yeah so yeah, I'm optimistic it's going to be included. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, yeah, there's a few things you could be interested in there. Of course, uh, the one the one thing I'm interested in in particular is the kind of gain loss of individual payoffs. So not whether everything is gain or loss, right? You already have that in your study, the gain loss frame. But what I'm more interested in is like you can you know because the in a prison dilemma the order of the four payoffs is. Um, well, that's what defines the prisoner's dilemma. But you can obviously shift that, all of that relative to zero. So none or all of them or some or some of them are positive or negative. Um, and what, I mean, the one thing that I found, for example, interesting in my my very professional table in my Word document is that there's almost no payoff matrices that use negative numbers at all. Um, I found that really interesting almost, I mean, you know, you give people money, it makes sense. Uh, in these studies, but it's there's almost like the proportion of what I wrote down is probably like ninety percent use only positive numbers or something. Yeah, uh, so like I wanted to see whether I could do meta-analysis over this, but there just weren't enough studies I even knew of that have negative numbers to begin with. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very good point, and uh, it's true. I mean, if I have to come up with a proportion as well, I think that the, ne the positive payoff are around 85% of what's out there. So it's really more yeah. like on the norm. I mean, as I said, like it makes sense from a practical perspective, right? Because you, 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 you want to incentivize it, so you give people more money. You know, like one problem we had is that you can't really like let people give you money for taking part. Like if you do a real prison dilemma and the, the outcome is negative, you can't really do a study where the participant owes you 20 euros afterwards, right? Like that doesn't... But uh, I, can, uh, I can tell you from experience that there are several studies that, uh, for example, give a budget before to cover this yeah. kind of loss. Yeah, that's what we did basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's like the only thing you can really do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just... Also, like for me, not even... Like I know of... Yeah, it, it just feels really unethical to have you know, people to give you like an hour of their time and then you, they have to give you 10 euros afterwards or something. <laughs> like that just sounds a bit wrong. Yeah, it is. And I think it's already hard enough to give them back because you, you as a participant, you think they're already in your pocket, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had, so like an hour thing, we had, like we did an experiment and there were like three factors and each of them you could win or gain money, that kind of thing. And one person just got really unlucky, <laughs> you know, but which is what you imagine if you test lots of people, right? At some point, someone's going to get very unlucky. One person also got very lucky and took away a lot of money. Um, but you feel really bad for that person who gives you, well, that's the weird thing, right? Technically, we paid them less than they should have been paid per hour, right? Because of the incentive structure and the whole thing. It's just this one, 
we didn't really expect someone to be that unlucky and get like the minimum in all three tasks. <laughs> um, but I mean, they signed up for it. We told them like in the advertisement, like it's not like this was hidden, but yeah, it still <laughs> always feels a bit bad. But yeah, so it's... Um, okay, I'm, I'm looking forward then to... To to once once you add that to the data bank, because I mean, like the so I had a look at it like briefly, look through it, and it seems like you know it's it's set up the way you'd want it to be set up. That you you know you do five clicks and then you've got your data. Um, so that would make everything so much easier. But like, was your task literally to, for the last year to just code studies or what? Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was my task for the very first year, um, okay. in which like I transitioned to this new job. And to be honest, it's uh, okay. It's a it's a tedious task, and it's it's very detail oriented. But it it gives a lot of benefit. Like uh, okay, I talk about that it takes half a hour. You need uh, you need to look a lot of um, to a lot of detail. It's more than this really because you get really into the the specifics of the of the experiments in a way you you never had the chance to like before we were saying that um you know maybe sometimes when you do your phd it's hard to read a lot of paper and to really you really need to be efficient with that somehow uh, but if you read a lot of paper just to annotate them and to understand what was going on you really get uh, some a level of de detail you would never expect it's funny you must be like when it comes to experimental details you must be like a complete expert in terms of like knowing not necessarily every detail every study or thing but like just knowing what people have done before right? you uh, must... it's funny because you start uh, knowing people from their design and uh, you start uh, <laughs> or for example some this is a funny uh, funny story but sometimes there are some papers that i really like to uh, to code and to, to annotate, uh, like, uh, of some specific research group, I always thought, yeah, one day I really like to end up to work with them. That's the way it should be done. So it starts really this, uh, this little fandom and these little connections, totally unilateral, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you plan on, like, when you think about like the rest of your not the rest of your career that's a very grand term uh but like about like what you want to do kind of next is for you like the whole are you going to use this kind of fairly detailed knowledge of experimental methods more or is um i don't know like do you see yourself as like experimental mainly or mm. Yeah, so I definitely like experiments and uh, I think uh, I will continue to perform more in the future. Although one uh, drawback, let's call it in this way, of working with such a project is that it's so big and so long-term oriented that everything else really at some point feel like uh, really minor. You know, like uh, if you if you, if you you make yeah. a contribution, if you really make a contribution in, uh, in, in the field, uh, then uh, coming back and scale down to perform individual studies that maybe are not going to make a revolution in the field. It's uh, a bit strange, but, but, but I really love experiments, so I'm going to keep on doing more. But I also got this vision for long-term things and long-term projects. So basically all the projects I'm involved right now have uh, been like two or three years in the making are just super long things. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Do you like that kind of work? Um, like studies that really take their time or like just as a, as a comparison, like I really noticed like uh, for what I consider doing like animal studies and that kind of thing. Um, because I'm also like really interested in neuroscience and, but I realized, I mean, I never really applied for it, but I realize now that I'm just not suited for something where you, you know, you have to train the animals for months, then you, you know, like these studies that just take like three years to do or something like I'm just not suited for that kind of pace. Uh, yeah. I think uh, I think it takes a lot of patience and perseverance. So it really needs to fit with the way you approach uh, work and yeah. with your personality too. So I realize I, I like that. And uh, yeah, there is not much of a problem for me, except maybe in some, I mean, in some specific times in my life, I wish just <laughs> I had uh, more things in the pipeline or they're just uh, faster. But still, like uh, for most of the time, um, no, it's it's okay. I, I like it. And I think uh, they're going to be rewarding uh, in the future in terms of the contribution that they can make. Yeah, I mean, like if, you know, I don't know, I've, I haven't used this really yet to like do a proper analysis, but like if it works well, then, you know, you've you've created a framework for not any meta-analysis you might want to do, but yeah, you've like facilitated for so many people how to how to do these kind of analyses and I mean, as a side point, I also realize it's a good search engine, right? Like when you go through, you know, I usually look through Google Scholar because that's just by far what gives me the best results. Um, but like, for example, for this loss gain thing where I really wanted to find studies that looked at this and because I thought someone must have done this and some have, but not really the way I intended to, or I intended to, you know, I went through like all the database and it was like a huge effort and still like, I just in two minutes looked through your gain loss thing and found like three studies I hadn't seen until then, even though in theory I'd gone, I thought I'd gone through all this, all this data. Well, uh, that, that's very encouraging to know, but uh, it's true. Like we, we all, always give like a, a big, fo a huge focus to the meta-analytic side of things and uh, to the possibility to perform research synthesis, but the search engine and even just using Coda to search, to screen uh, for papers, it's super helpful. Like there are so many things you can do, especially as a as an early career person, as a person who really haven't planned thousands of studies in in the career. I think Coda is super valuable. There are really many things. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I find interesting, and I don't know like whether something like Coda exists or something like that, um, but but Coda being the corporation data bank. Um, but the one thing I find interesting as an idea is that because you have already coded all these variables and you're seems like you're adding more as you know uh, in the future it almost seems to me like it it works as like a you can almost like for many things that you're studying you could make meta-analysis a part of your standard paper like you know you can almost like for me for example let's say i do this one study and then i can add a thing at the end to it i don't know how much work it is maybe it's maybe it's a huge huge amount of work still but it kind of seems like you know, back in, you know, without the, without Coda, you, it's a whole new project to do this thing. Whereas now it becomes like something smaller on the side almost, it seems. I don't know whether yeah, it works it, that it way. Look, it, that's, uh, it looks like uh, pretty much like all the studies, like uh, the experimental studies that also in the paper report, uh, let's say, some analysis of survey data. 
because you can, uh, like a World Value Survey or European Social Survey, it's not something that was collected firsthand, but it still like make, uh, make, uh, can make the argument stronger and provide a cross-validation of what you want to yeah. claim. Yeah, I mean, have you... I mean, are you still working mainly on Coda then or are you doing experiments right now or what are you? Um, no, right now, like, I'm not really focused on uh, annotating. I'm not annotating any new data at the moment because it was, uh, like, really, really intense. So um, now I'm transitioning to some uh, research project I can uh, I can do with this data. So, for example, I'm working on my own meta-analysis on uh, cross-cultural variation in cooperation and and uh, and on some other some other experiments uh, they are not really related to yeah to code yeah, so, some, so you you're not like you know doing that thing where you almost i mean you could almost use it as a i don't know i was about to say like you can almost use it as a pilot for the study you want to do but then again if you already can do a meta-analysis i want i wonder whether your new experiment is going to add much if it's already coded in there i don't know um, what do you mean exactly? Well, I was thinking like if there's already so much data out there that you can do new meta-analysis, do you really need your new study? Like maybe, maybe no, I guess you can. Yeah, like for, for, for my study, the data is already in your database, but no one's actually looked at the question I'm interested in. So yeah, it would still work. Do you see what I mean? Or I think it, it still has value. It really depends on uh, on on how you exactly want to frame a reporting and meta-analytic results in your pay, in your paper. It really depends, but I don't see them as a, a mutually exclusive uh, things, to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll, once you've got your payoff matrix coded in there, I'll definitely see whether I can <laughs> do, make something of it. But um, you're you're very welcome uh, to join uh, our task force and uh, <laughs> and, and annotate some payoff matrices uh, with us. Uh, let's say this. I'll say this. I'm uh, I'm very happy to add our studies to it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if that's, I mean, so this is an, an next point I wanted to ask. Actually, is that you mentioned? I think in your in your preprint briefly somewhere that the idea is that new papers are added to it. Um, and I'm assuming from your perspective, ideally by the authors, so you don't have to do it. Um, but no, this is, I think this is a great idea, right? You have something where you, you create the framework that hopefully is easy enough for researchers to use so they can just add new studies. I mean, that would be fantastic for you, right? You'd have hundreds of new studies every year just being added. I can uh, I can already anticipate something about that. We're working already on um, the implementation of such a feature in the data bank. So we're working on including a new tab in the in the Coda research platform in which people can add their own studies. Of course, following a little bit uh, the the treatment structure and the data model that we that is underlying our uh, computations. Uh, but of course, we're going to provide instruction for that. And uh, this is already in beta version. So we're testing that now and we plan it to release uh, pretty soon. And okay, as I said, of course, this is going to alleviate uh, a lot the work of, of, of the people who are going to um, annotate all of them. But the, the very cool thing is that if the authors can uh, annotate themselves the study they perform, they're going to provide the most accurate information, like really the, the, the best information. Um, yeah, and I think it has a lot of value. And another thing is that 
the studies that we were able to include were published studies that we were able to find online through the popular search, en search engines. But there are many more uh, like out there in the... Yeah, they, are, they, are, they remain unpublished somehow and uh, they deserve to be represented. So that's a way to do that. So you can all, we're we are planning to welcome really unpublished studies and file drawer studies and uh, theses and really to be able to represent as much as possible. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Like even if, so but like if you have a file draw thing, how do you guarantee that people are putting in the accurate information Like if it's not, you know, because if you have a paper, you can just check the paper and see like, oh yeah, they did it correctly. But let's say you have someone who hasn't used Coda yet and they say, oh, I have this file draw study, I'll put it in. And you have no way of verifying it from a paper or something, or do you just have to trust them or? Mm, so everything, uh, we're planning to review every every entry and every new record uh, um, by our our editorial board of the of coda uh, but of course there are some details that we can't uh, we should rely on authors so let's say if the if the people report that the participants in the study were playing a prisoner dilemma game even if we review this content we have no way to say that in the study whether we never that we never read anywhere they were actually playing another game so this information is going to be Uh, we should trust the authors to report like accurate information. But uh, from our side, we're gonna um, make um, the process of adding the information in terms of defining the treatments, defining the variables, or fitting uh, our data model as smooth as possible. So we're really gonna help for that. Yeah, I'm just like thinking out loud now about like how to make this easier for you. Because, yeah, as you said, like you probably have to like check papers so people don't just put in nonsense and just ruin your entire database through poor data quality. But would you like have, I don't know, give certain authors, if they've already done it two or three times and they seem to know what they're doing, like giving them like a, not a certificate, but like a green card to just like put in their data because you know they know what they're doing? Or are you still going to intend on actually checking through everything? You mean like introducing some sort of reputation system? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. I mean, you, but you know what I mean, right? Like the kind of, you say like, okay, this person has put it in like three times correctly or something. Like they seem to, we don't, you know, it's kind oh, of just wasting it. Yeah, I understand what you mean. No, we're going to basically give the, uh, uh, ask parties, ask authors uh, to also leave their like contact information so if we see something that is that does not add up or if there is something that we would like uh, to follow up with authors we're going to contact them and uh, just uh, have a one to one conversation to to clarify but yeah yeah no green card i'm so sorry the incentive structure <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could put it like in your cv I got like, you know, I've got a I've got a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD, and I got a certificate from the CODA. Like, Or some uh, uh, cool stickers uh, in your laptop. Uh, oh, yeah, that would be very good. Um, that, I'm not joking. That would probably like increase like the amount of studies people put in by like 50% if they could have a cool sticker. Um Yeah, but is, but how does, do you know how like Daniel, so like, you know, it runs through him, right? Because he had the ERC grant or whatever it was to to do this thing. Like, 
how does he plan on doing this long term? Because it sounds like even you know, if you want to add new studies, it's going to be at least some effort involved for well, however long he wants to keep this up. But you know, grants are not unlimited. So, like, how does he plan on ensuring like the longevity of the project? Um, okay, so that's yeah. a, that's a very good question. So even uh, so, as you said, the the project was originally funded by the ERC starting grant. It was awarded to them budget, and uh, the people, many people worked uh, to make that possible and to annotate data. And uh, many of those people were actually volunteer, and they really like saw some uh, kind of benefit into the project. Uh, they saw that they could make a difference, and some of them uh, uh, really wanted to get closer to the data to to do their own project with that like uh, even uh, annotating more data that didn't end up in the cooperation data bank eventually. So many people uh, really uh, contributed to that. Uh, we have some people that are starting to reach out to keep on, co on contributing more in some capacities. So like uh, all those people, they didn't really have to annotate thousands of papers uh, was maybe what, what they had the time for, was like a summer, uh, summer pro um, project or something like this. So... We're trying to acquire some other external funding, and uh, we're applying to some grants to to have it, to keep that running. So we're going to base on the money from these grants that hopefully will come, and from uh, some other work from people who believe in the project right now. But we're also trying to invest to um, in uh, some ways to automatize some of the processes because. Like right now at the moment, there is nothing that is uh, comparable uh, in terms of data quality to the information that a domain expert annotator can annotate. So if the if the two of us read a paper, we're, we're always going to perform better than some machine in extracting the same information and understanding what is going on in the experimental game. But there are some tasks like the uh, systematic search for studies that can be automatized or at least semi-automatized through some methods like uh, machine learning, uh, let's say, that can learn from our previous work to, uh, and, and support us to retrieve like a helpful papers or relevant records, let's say. So we're investing in that and in trying to understand how much we can, uh, how can I say, um, how much, whether machines can help us like to in increase the efficiency of the entire process. Yeah, I mean, I guess like relying on other researchers, I don't know, like to some extent, of course, relying, you know, relying on other people's help is maybe not the greatest idea, actually only rely on it, right? But in a way also, it does seem very, I could imagine it working from the sense, you know, like I I have like, you know, with the payoff matrix thing, I have all these payoff matrices so I can, you know, like I can just like take the stuff I already have and make it publicly available right that's kind of what it is and that's of course like you know i mean that's the whole thing behind like open science right that you you have your methods and make them available to others so i think that motivation might get you pretty far actually i mean it's a, it's a public good uh, management problem eventually uh, here and, we go uh, yeah right. <laughs> here we go yeah. I mean, if you see some benefit, uh, for example, in in the data and learning something from the data uh, that was already annotated there, but you need something else, like let's say the payoff matrix, uh, nothing prevents you to like to go through some uh, some matrices and to code them and maybe reach out for some further support. Like uh, you can um, 
share this data with us. We can uh, provide some, uh, some support with some further annotation and eventually it is going to result for, uh, in a better outcome for you because they're going to get more data, but for the collective too. I mean, everybody benefits at the end. And uh, that's a bit of the model that we had in mind. We think people are going to benefit from that. Maybe they want to add to this knowledge. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if we, I find it so annoying almost that when you do something with like cooperation, social interaction, everything becomes like a game theoretic problem. Um but let's let's go there for like a minute. So how do you create the incentive structures though that it doesn't become a prisoner's dilemma, but that it becomes something more cooperative, right? Because like in setting up Coda, you could set it up so that it's, you know, deadlock or whatever, or um, you know, in terms of like people helping you. Um have you have you thought from from a game theoretic perspective how you can ensure that it becomes something where mutual cooperation is the the Nash equilibrium or something like that. Oh. Uh, I mean, uh, we had uh, we had a lot of conversation about that and uh, to what extent uh, we wanted to introduce, let's say, some kind of institutional control. And, uh, uh, and eventually, like, this leads to a lot of cascading decisions about how much you want to control. And we decided that uh, we can't control that, and uh, that eventually, like it really, uh, and uh, it, it really depends on individual, uh, on the individual motivation, and uh, there is not much you can uh, you can control about that unless you start really controlling every single step and really constraining people action. And one, what we wanted to give was like full freedom and uh, full ownership of the data and uh, full flexibility. Uh, because when you start uh, controlling and constraining, uh, it uh, it really goes a <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned, you know, if people have questions, whether they can contact you. So is that also, let's say you want something, a new factor to be added to Coda. You know, like, for example, me with the payoff matrix or something. Um, and imagine you don't have a podcast where you can just talk to the authors. Um, do you just send you an email and say like, hey, I'm, I'm interested in the payoff matrix. Are you planning on adding it or whatever? Or how does... Uh... Yeah, so, I mean, we're not like a company. So even if you use uh, the contact form that you find in uh, the CODA, the Cooperation Data Bank website, uh, then and I are going to read the email. So if you're going to send an email through the form or you're directly con in contact with Dan and I, we're very approachable and, uh, and we're going to figure out something together and see how the specific request uh, can meet or uh, whatever is going on like uh, from uh, from our side and uh, if we can meet in the middle and if we can help each other and start a collaboration so it's all very spontaneous uh, yeah 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 okay then i have my second request after payoff matrices is um are you also planning on adding other two by two games so you have prison salama and then some of you know you have some studies where you people use a prison salama and maybe chicken or stack or something but you haven't uh you know coded it for the i mean you don't want all two by two games but let's say the symmetric ones or something that you you know also include studies that only use stag hunt or something like that i don't know it seems to me like you've, you're mainly using prisons am i right and then if those studies also include other games you have them too but you're not as far as i can tell at least you know, you're not no, yeah, yeah, your intuition is correct. So if, like, let's say a study included multiple games, uh, we only uh, annotated those that uh, were relevant according to the inclusion criteria. So of the data bank, uh, which are like 
the game being a prisoner dilemma, a public goods dilemma, resource dilemma, and a resource dilemma, or some uh, slight variation of those. I mean, so in this sense, like uh, a chicken game wouldn't be annotated by our collaborators. And so you're, you're not going to find it in there. Hmm? I'm pretty sure I did earlier. Like I looked as one of the variables was like game type game type and then it was prisoner but there was also chicken to select yeah yeah so you you can select uh, you this if you found a chicken dilemma in the a chicken game in the in our platform you couldn't find it uh, while filtering out based on game type so if you if you are gonna filtering like what's the what's the game that has been used you're, you're not gonna find that you're only gonna find these games but if the article report an effect size let's say Uh, that com which summarize the the difference between cooperation in a, a prisoner dilemma setting and in a chicken game. We have a, a variable to uh, okay, to okay. Um, yeah conceptualize a chicken game in our ontology. So you're gonna find this effect size, but you you can't really select studies based on em employing a chicken game because they're simply not there. I don't know if yeah. I explain that. And you're that not planning thing. on adding that? Or? No, it's actually like a, a, um, a point on our on our agenda, and we really want to expand the sort the sort of data you can find in there. And adding more games is definitely one of the of the next uh, challenge. And yeah, if we are still seeking for some collaborators who want to get on board and uh, and and support with that. By the way, is it really annoying that like you have this like great platform where you have like all this data available and, and like the first thing people do is they say like, can you also do this thing? Uh, <laughs> you know, like why don't you have that thing? No, we, we we take it as a sign of enthusiasm and we like it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't ask you if, if I if I thought it was a waste of time. Um, obviously I only asked because it seems really cool. But when you say you're looking for collaborators For example, let's say for other game types or something. What does that exactly, what would a collaborator do there? So the way we organized the collaboration and uh, people who worked, uh, who worked with us in the past was that they all went through a training session uh, with me um, in which like, they were really get acquainted with the, with the data and how the data look like and how our, our annotation system look like uh, to be able to be independent in um, in uh, annotating new information. And uh, this is really a structured procedure. It takes uh, it takes some time, but it really makes people comfortable in saying, okay, uh, I can do that. So based on uh, then uh, what, what was their availability, um, they were assigned uh, a group of, of studies, of papers to annotate. And uh, they were always in contact with me if they had any questions or something. So, yeah. Do the people require like a certain level of Uh, education or can it be like I don't know let's say you have someone who wants to do a master's project or whatever can is that also fine or do they have to like already know the field or have experience in it also no we had uh, um, of course uh, it's it's required to have some uh, familiarity with uh, with the field and with economic games in general but we also had uh, some uh, collaborators from um, they were doing their master And uh, some of them were uh, actually interested in uh, doing a meta-analysis on cooperation eventually and super motivated to learn. So, yeah, nothing really prevents anybody to learn about that. Even with uh, very little familiarity, we have our reference and uh, they go through this training and uh, there is 
a constant uh, communication. It's very open. And uh, I find it uh, especially beneficial for people uh, early in their career because, yeah, because of the benefits uh, I was mentioning before, but also because it really gives you um, also a perspective on writing and uh, on what you want and how you want to communicate your results in a, in a, in a research paper, let's say, because you know where to, uh, that when you read some result sections, they're very hard, it's very hard to locate uh, the information and it's a bit annoying. So you, you really want to be clear when you write your own research section. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, at, at, in the worst case scenario is that you gain an appreciation of well-written method section. Oh, uh, yeah. Method, yeah. I mean, that's if every method section was well-written, that, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, there are like a couple of uh, of things that in in which Coda can help for study reporting. So one thing would be that if you get familiar with the variables that we annotated, that for example, that are related to the study characteristics, so all the features of the experimental design, and you really know uh, what they are, uh, then you can check whether in your own reporting uh, of an experimental uh, method section, uh, you're you are really covering all those points because uh, authors keep many things uh, for granted and keep a lot of this knowledge implicit. Like, for example, for me, it's very hard uh, sometimes to find uh, information about the incentive in the game. Sometimes people don't really report whether uh, participants were paid for that or not. So it's very common in uh, econ papers and in psychology papers, let's say, run in online setting. But in the lab, it's really not uh, not super common, and it should be. So you mean like whether people were paid for the responses in the game, or whether it was uh, oh, no, that, even if or? they if they received like a show up fee for, uh, for participation, uh, like a flat, uh, because. People think maybe that's not interesting, maybe that's not relevant, but it's actually good to be explicit, you know? Yeah. So, like, studying whether... Oh, okay, I thought you literally meant... Do you? Sorry, do you also have the variable whether the reward, the, pay, the payoff was hypothetical or real? That's yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah, exactly. both, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, so the... Do you... I do, and I know you have tutorials um, on the website, but beyond that, for example, one thing that something I'm particularly thinking of right now is that I don't know how to do a meta analysis. Like, even if I want to do something, I don't actually know like what the steps are, how it works. Is that also something you guys assist with or collaborate with, or is it really? I mean, it sounds like you already have a lot to do. <laughs> um, so, but you know what I mean. Like, is that also something where you, I don't know, act as a platform for? Connecting meta-analysts with people who just want to run one, or um, I don't know. So, what you can find in our website is really how best to navigate the platform to get like the 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 meta-analytic outcomes, but also like to navigate all the other functions. And we also had uh, um, a dilemma about uh, okay, but what kind of information about meta-analysis per se we want to convey. And uh, eventually, we end up uh, deciding that a lot of people are, do are doing that and are focusing their research on developing meta-analytic methods and meta-analytic software. So uh, this was not like our... Uh, there are like a lot of people that can do a better job, let's say, training in the meta-analytic methods. 
So as an example, like all the all our software on our um, on our research platform runs on R Shiny, and uh, and the computation that are specific to meta analysis are implemented using the metaphor pa R package uh, that, that is developed by um, Wolfgang Fickbauer. So if you need to learn something about meta analysis and uh, the computation behind that, it's better just to be redirect to the people who work with that. Like uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious, particularly because Daniel has, you know, he does have the expertise, right, in running meta-analysis. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, but uh, I mean, what, what we can really, uh, all we can do is is talk about like meta-analysis, about cooperation and uh, the specific uh, um, the specific decisions that underlie like a meta-analysis on cooperation. Because then, okay, there is nothing like the general uh, meta-analytic method. There is nothing like performing a general meta-analysis. There are a lot of choices one uh, should make. And we can, we can be knowledgeable about that specific part, but I think there are like a lot of amazing resources out there on the general, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, like I, I had that question when you know I wrote that question down before, like whether you guys help it when what, and it made sense. But when I was just saying it, I realized like, wait, you already you already have so much to do, <laughs> like you can't, like it doesn't sound like it's even like just physically possible for you guys to also do all of that, whilst you're trying to set up and maintain this, this data bank. Yeah, no, no. So I, I completely understand that you, that you can't do everything. Well, but what we what we what we could do and what we do have in our website is a list of uh, useful resources. We redirect people uh, who are interested in more specific um, function like meta-analysis or power analysis or other things that you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, you know, because part of what I was thinking, like in the, in the, the thing I was thinking of is that it would be really cool to do to like just see whether this effect also persists in, you know, across all the other literature. But in a way, I did do a few controlled experiments. And am I really going to put in all the effort just to see whether, you know, it works in all the other contexts when I feel like I've, you know, I feel like I, my study should, in a way, already be pretty confident that the effect is there, right? So it's a bit of a, like, am I willing to put in the effort to learn how to do run a meta-analysis just for something that I I think should already, you know, I should already have the evidence for it, but. Uh, but uh, I mean, uh, you can learn uh, some other stuff with the meta-analysis. You can get, like, let's say, an estimate of uh, how much publication bias is out there, and uh, this is not something that you can learn uh, if you perform an individual study. So you get a sense of what's the effect in your specific uh, set of uh, circumstances that led you to that specific result, but you can't really assess like. Uh, how much like the the literature that is already out there is reliable and is going to replicate uh, in the future uh, with your own study so there are some benefits also in the in having a meta analytic approach instead yeah yeah i mean i'm actually also i mean this is the kind of slightly weird thing have you so this is paper by i don't know who it's by um i can't remember but i'll by the way i always put all the papers and stuff we talk about as a description in the in the description so i'll put it there but there's a uh, something that someone did recently which is about like single paper meta-analyses where they basically say like if you have several experiments on the same thing they have like also like a probably also shiny apps thing where you can 
put in the you know you do a meta-analysis over let's say your three or four studies in your experiments so in a way I, I kind of plan on doing that already but yeah some of running a full meta-analysis just sounds you know like as you said it's work I mean that's a different that's a, that's still a different thing because if you run an internal meta-analysis meaning like a meta-analysis of the set of studies that you conduct you can get like a good sense like of the average effect that you get like it's like if you want to summarize uh, the the finding on your paper of your paper in a single uh, matrix uh, and here you go but still it doesn't uh, add much to comparing that to the to what to the existing uh, yeah yeah no it would be summary. i mean in this case in particular because we did a few experiments and one of them for example wasn't didn't show any differences that we expected so there's the question like okay you know what does the the Cumulatively, what do the studies say? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Those are two different things. Um, see, I just keep thinking of new things you guys should add, which is very rude. But um, again, you said you think of it as uh, enthusiasm. But this is a genuine question. So like with, you know, I mean, like what you're doing is already a huge amount of work and already very cool. But for example, like with our study, we plan on putting, you know, all the data public. So you could actually have the trials you know, every single trial of every person you could have. I just, is there any way of like incorporating that in the future into your thing? Or is that just a completely different level of detail or, you know, rather than just having like a an effect for a study, rather actually being able to include all the trials and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so Adi, um, it's, a, it's a different thing because uh, what are like the observations and the, the individual observation in a study that you can that you collect are like let's say they can be the participants or can be uh, a group or a trial or whatever but what we use as an observation in our data model is an effect so the way the data are let's say even structured in an excel file that can come up from your study and from the data bank is different. So we would still need like some kind of intermediate step to translate uh, the former right, right. into the latter. I mean, that would actually be almost very beneficial for the field, right? If you guys just set a standard like column one is this, column two is that, column three is this. Um, I don't know whether yeah, that I mean, makes any sense for very like, you know, studies that can differ so much, but... Um, I mean, there is like uh, right now a movement in science about how best to, let's say, to create code books and to uh, share the data in a way that is as uh, standardized as possible. So there is some work that is moving in that direction. And I think uh, I think it's pretty cool. And uh, I think we can use that as well. But right now, what we can give as a, as a, as a guideline, maybe, could be like the definitions uh, of the of the concept, uh, like do we have in our ontology, for example, uh, like that, that really define some kind of rough structure of all the variables that have been uh, studied in relation with cooperation. But regarding like how really to store the data and uh, the data model, uh, uh, yeah, that's a different, <laughs> entirely different world. Yeah, no, as I said, like it sounds like you've got enough on your on your plate as it is. Um, by the way, do you have like specific people who just do the programming of the website or the programming of the database or whatever? Or is it literally just, I don't know, you and I don't know exactly who's involved. I mean, it's, it's on the website, but it's... No, we have a big team. 
and uh, indeed you can uh, like check all the names and see all the faces in on our website but our our team is uh, i can describe it as uh, roughly dividing domain experts who are like really the people who work with cooperation and uh, who are knowledgeable of uh, cooperation studies and uh, computer scientists were the people who supported us with uh, um, um, everything to relate and pertains to the knowledge representation and to the actual implementation of the infrastructure. And then there are some people in the middle of the of, of those uh, fields, like uh, my colleague uh, Simon Columbus, uh, which was uh, really super, super helpful in uh, developing the Shiny app and, uh, and the R script that is behind uh, the, the research interface. So not all of us are involved with all the tasks. And that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. By the way, what, as a kind of maybe final question about the data bank, um, like how was, so you, first you were hired to work on that project, right? Like you knew you were going to work on this. Okay, yeah. So how was that? How did it turn out differently than you expected? Like, you know, you went in with a certain, ex assuming a certain expectation of what the work was going to be like. And then, yeah, I'm just curious, like working on this kind of big, like creating a framework kind of project, like, I don't know, how was it? To be honest, when I transitioned from my PhD, there was like the time uh, in which you ask uh, what you want to do next and uh, how you want to bring uh, your, your research or career to the next level. And uh, th there came this opportunity. And uh, this was uh, described me very honestly by then at the beginning as an appointment that was super focusing on uh, on the annotation and on the data curation and on the coordination of this uh, big group of people. Uh, so I knew exactly what, what I was uh, about to face and I actually was excited uh, And I also thought that's a nice way to uh, keep thinking about what you, what you want to do in the in the meantime. But then it really um, became something bigger because if you like uh, turn your attention out of the Excel file you're working on and annotating number after number, you see what is uh, what it's growing. So I started thinking about my own meta analytic projects and my own vision and how and I. I learned that I could make a difference and I could shape the way the future line of research uh, somehow and, and influence uh, influence the field in some way, in some positive way, I thought. So that was uh, that was unexpected and was super rewarding. And to be honest, at the end of the day, when, uh, when I was tired from uh, all the, the super detailed annotation, uh, that uh, really kept my motivation up. But my expectations were like the job was described in a very realistic way and uh, but it was much more than that how do you think about uh, like the kind of work you're doing because so one thing i was struck by when i thought about like what it would be like to kind of set up this project is that how should i say like obviously it's a very you know i agree like this is a really can be a very impactful kind of project right where you can really help lots of people do lots of really cool things but in a way it sounds to me that the it doesn't have this kind of almost scientific kind of how should we say like it's almost not doing science but creating a framework for other people to do science is that something that if i if i got that correctly um then i don't know i'm not really sure what my question exactly here is um 
I don't know, like, is that how, do you think about it that way or do you just think about it in terms of in terms of the contribution or something so at, at the end uh, at the end this 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 entire project turned out more uh, way more meta sciency than uh, what i expected it to be but uh, during like my my work i had uh, the possibility to develop some ideas that were really like about cooperation and uh, that could help to answer some questions related to to cooperation, such as, for example, whether cooperation varies across societies or which are like the cross-cultural factors that can account for the variation that we can that we observe. So I start thinking about some project to answer to some question, and this data for me uh, were like the way to achieve that goal. So it, it was just that I didn't conduct, let's say, experimental research per se, but it really helped me. I I think uh, at the end of the day, I could also give like a some kind of theoretical contribution and not only like a meta-scientific contribution. And so all the other people who worked in the project, like we, our lab has many meta-analyses um, going on at the moment. And many of these people were involved with the annotation of these studies, but this really didn't prevent to ask interesting questions um, about cooperation per se. The lab must have like a lot of meta-analysis coming out soon, right? Like you're the first people to be able to use this database, you know how to use it. You've got your questions, you can just run with it, right? I mean, uh, that's a little bit of a, of a competitive advantage, but still, like uh, the, the project we're working on, there are not um, all of them out yet, uh, are going to be based on the same data that is out right now. So it's not really competitive in this way. No, I mean, I didn't even mean it in that sense. I meant it more like in terms of like, I imagine like for someone like Daniel, who, as far as I can tell, has, you know, largely been doing meta-analyses for most of his career. This must be just like fantastic, right? Because he now just has this tool that I, I, I assume he wish he had this 10 years ago, right? <laughs> and uh, you're assuming right. And we, when we were testing uh, the interface, like uh, when it was... Uh, developed first like he was so excited he ran like hundreds <laughs> of meta-analysis in like one hour and he's like oh i'm running one meta-analysis after the other so like that was very fun but i could see <laughs> the enthusiasm and uh, <laughs> yeah it was uh, a bit wild with uh, with the meta-analysis yeah yeah he's probably gonna have like a phase after that like when he has to adjust like you know when he did like all the meta-analysis in like one year and then he has to like calm down a bit <laughs> when like he's already like done everything he wants to do. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I learned, there is always going to be more. So I can't yeah, wait to yeah. see what's coming next. Yeah, definitely. By the way, how, how long are you still working on that project? Like I'm assuming your contract is not unlimited. Uh, I started working uh, in, um, at the end of 2017. And, uh, and then I had another appointment. And I'm and now I'm back again uh, at the VU in, uh, in the in the cooperation uh, in the Amsterdam Cooperation Lab. Uh, but although I have I still have some responsibilities with the data bank, my new appointment uh, is uh, yeah it's not uh, entirely oriented to that. I'm also doing other research. But of course, as a as a co-director, I'm still uh, I'm still involved. <laughs> yeah, the the, the co-directors still have to do something. <laughs> but is um okay so now it's kind of you're working mainly on other stuff and this is you know using your knowledge of the field and the database itself 
um, your sorry, the data bank um, is so it's more like a supervisory role now rather than. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm less hands on with the uh, with the data. Uh, I'm not annotating any new stuff, uh, but I'm coordinating and supervising. Uh, so that's the role right now. But I'm sure that during the next round of annotation and uh, when it when it's gonna start, uh, this can probably change. Uh, I also see some benefit in keep on annotating stuff. Maybe not full time, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? So what are you working on now, or what's kind of next for you? If you know, obviously, you don't have to say all your secret ideas, but um, <laughs> in, in the broad strokes. No, I'm I'm really focusing on the meta analysis right now because it has been like uh, two years in the making. So for me, it's uh, really time to wrap it up and uh, send it out there. And uh, really, I can't wait uh, to share <laughs> the findings <laughs> with the community too, and not just staring at them myself alone. But as other, we have some other projects that are related to the new grant that uh, then uh, was awarded because he got um, uh, another ERC, ERC grant recently. So well we're starting, uh, yeah, super well done. And we're starting uh, to really work on uh, interdependence and uh, using experience sampling method and bringing that to a more um, global, let's say, uh, level. Can you say something about that? I'm curious what like the experience sample or you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, no, uh, it, it's still in the making. So there is not much I can, uh, I can, uh, I should be able, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to share more right now because we haven't started yet. So I see, I see. Simple as, as that. Uh, you mentioned earlier a few times kind of that you like the contribution to the field that you're doing with Coda on a kind of long-term career scale. Do you have like a contribution you want to make, uh, a specific thing, or is it kind of just, I don't know, like how do you think about that kind of like long term career and work you do? Um, to be honest, I haven't been uh, so strategic uh, to think about uh, like uh, the long term uh, horizon with that, like uh, not at all. But one thing that for me is very rewarding already is. Uh, that my reputation changed a little bit. Not not like changed, but if some people like read my name or anything like out there in the web, like they think, oh, those are truly cooperative people who are working that are working for the common good. And uh, yeah. to me, that's that's amazing. That's just the best thing they can uh, that can happen um, yeah, yeah. from a career perspective. But then I I don't know. I think. Uh, the main long-term uh, benefit that I see is going to be really changing the mindset related to the project and what you want to do. Like uh, now, I really feel like with the next grant, I will uh, apply to, I want to make uh, a difference. Uh, and also, I want my work to be helpful for others and not for myself. That That's like a take almost that I got for the, from this project. That's, that's pretty good. I mean... <laughs> No, I mean, like, I guess it is like an inherently kind of community community thing, right? Where you you take all the studies from other people, you make it available for everyone. It's it's it very is very much seems like a kind of you know from the people for the people kind of thing. Um, without wanting to you know be too grand here, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to kind of trying it out, seeing whether I can you know do the things I want to try out with it. 
Um, so you mentioned briefly like the, the workshops. So as I said, this one won't be uh, public for that one. But are you, is that kind of something you're doing quite a lot? So we're or? planning to to do like a series of workshops. Like uh, at the beginning, uh, they're may, mainly going to revolve around navigating the function of Coda and really like uh, showing firsthand and working with people to understand how to use the uh, the platform in a way that can serve uh, the research purpose. Uh, but in the future, once like people are going to be acquainted with the platform and the possibility of the data, we really want to start uh, like some um, some kind of meetings uh, to think about research ideas and uh, to create uh, research networks and even um, to think about possible uh, avenues for these uh, for the data bank. What we can add and. Uh, and uh, yeah, because people have always like uh, good ideas and uh, thoughts like, hey, why don't you do that? And maybe it's something we never thought of because we were already really focused on uh, what was uh, on the table. But yeah, so we're going to have these opportunities and we, every time uh, we, we try, uh, we will plan to disseminate them in like um, channels like Twitter or some mailing list, uh, uh, like, uh, yeah, some uh, relevant mailing list. But if you check like our website, we have a news section. Uh, so just check it out like every now and then because some events can be on the making. Yeah, but you do have a mailing list or not? No, we don't have um, a quota mailing list uh, because we really don't want to spam uh, people and to be intrusive with that. But I mean, if you're interested and you really want to, uh, you don't want to miss like the next opportunity. Just send us an email, and uh, we're just gonna keep your uh, keep you in the loop for every uh, um, future communication. Yeah, sounds good. So I'm assuming right now everything's still digital, like online, and then maybe at some point, once uh, once COVID is over, then at some point maybe in person. But I'm assuming right now it's online. Yes, right now it's online, but uh, I very much look, look forward uh, to transition to a face-to-face -face, uh, setting. Yeah, are you going to put those like online, the workshop something? Like, I, you know, for people who uh, don't have time me? during the time, yeah. putting it on YouTube or something? Is that um, I don't know about the next one, but definitely also because it's a bit hard to find a time in the day that is inclusive uh, for all people, like in uh, all the oh, time yeah, zones. Yeah. So, yeah. like uh, with the time that we usually um, we usually work with, like people in Japan are not really it's not really easy for them to join. So, it's a good idea to to publish them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Cool, 